Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. According to a recent survey, over one third of all Americans are reluctant to get the COVID-19 vaccine. And the numbers are higher in minority communities by quite a bit. The National Foundation for Infectious Diseases says more than half of black adults say they're hesitant to take the vaccine. And that's a real problem. You know, when you look at the people who are most at risk from COVID-19 also being the most reluctant to take the vaccine, that doesn't bode well. Vaccine Reluctance with Dr. Renitha Julian. I don't think that anybody's going to be able to do anything and say, here's the magic piece of paper, here's the magic piece of information, and everyone is going to all of a sudden get in line and say, okay, I'm ready. I think it requires, which sometimes is difficult to have, some patience. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? COVID-19 is a moving target. Now we're seeing these new, more transmissible strains coming into the country. Today, we'll explore vaccine reluctance, especially among African-Americans, and why there's so much distrust of the healthcare system. As the vaccine supply is ramping up, how do we persuade more Americans who are reluctant to get the shot to sign up? Dr. Renitha Julian is professor and department chair at Rush University College of Nursing in Chicago. She's the co-author of a new article on building vaccine trust in marginalized communities. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Thank you. I'm happy to be here. The resistance to getting a COVID vaccine for many people could be a big barrier to progress against coronavirus. How serious is this problem? I think that the problem varies among populations. And I think in particular among minority, African-American, Latinx populations, that it is a significant problem. You know, one poll I saw said that another group that seems to have surprisingly high rates of vaccine anxiety or concern is is Republicans. And it seems like you have a number of these groups that don't really trust authority and they're not sure that the vaccines have been tested adequately. How can you reassure people that these vaccines really have passed through legitimate testing, despite it being probably the fastest vaccine approval we've ever seen? 
Right. I think that's one of the disadvantages of calling it Operation Warp Speed, because you, you think, you know, how many steps has somebody skipped in terms of getting to this place? But what was reassuring to me was to look at the science, look at the research, and it went through the exact same steps as all other vaccines, that there was just more attention to it and more intensity related to it in sense of urgency. So they did not skip any steps in uh, the development of the vaccine. So that was reassuring to me. Renita, I guess we ought to be personal about this. Have you had the shot? Yes, I have. And did you have any reluctance? Months ago, before they came out with the vaccine, I um, was telling a colleague, well, I'm not sure. I'll be in line, but I won't be at the front of the line. And the more I learned about the vaccine, I didn't have any hesitancy in getting the vaccine. So when my turn came, I signed up as soon as I could. As they rolled out the vaccine in the first weeks, focusing on people working in healthcare, there was a surprising amount of pushback in the Los Angeles hospital system and others where surprising high proportions of People working in the facilities declined the vaccine. Did that surprise you? It did. It did. And we've had similar at my own institution, but I do think that um, the tide is changing a little bit. I think we're up to about a 75, 80% vaccine rate, and we started out pretty slow. But I was surprised at the number of healthcare professionals who are on the front line, literally fighting this every day, who were reluctant to take the vaccine. So that was surprising to me. Now, in black and brown communities, many people appear reluctant to take the vaccines against COVID. You're an African-American nurse with, with many years of experience of working with patients. Have you learned some reasons why people are reluctant? I have, and it stems from a long history of mistrust, a long history of mistreatment of African Americans and other groups in healthcare systems and research. And unfortunately, those are the things that stick in people's minds. It's they don't shake off that uh, Tuskegee experiment and. Whenever you even talk to someone about research, they're like, well, you know, what about Tuskegee? Well, tell us more about that Tuskegee experiment, uh, which happened over a 40-year period starting in the 1930s. The U.S. public health system conducted a study on untreated syphilis in black men in Macon County, Alabama, and it turned out to be a revolting example of racism. What happened is they were following individuals who were positive for syphilis. And somewhere along the course of observing people with this disease, an effective treatment came up, penicillin, which could effectively cure the disease. And they withheld the treatment from the African-Americans just to continue observing the impact. You can see why that would resonate even, you know, across generations. When people that you know bring that up, what do you say to them? I absolutely tell them that I understand 
what they are thinking and how they feel about it because I feel in a similar way that how can you trust systems that have behaved so horribly in the past? And it's really hard to shake that off. But what I compare it to in some ways is that the difference now with COVID is that there is treatment and they are offering it and they are really intent on trying to distribute it in an equitable way so that those who are most impacted actually get the vaccine. And I found that the answer is not to, for me to sort of rattle off this scientific um, list of reasons why they should get the vaccine, but listen to their concerns and really tell them my thinking about it and then allow some time. Because I think over time with thinking about it and how things are going, a lot of people are changing their minds. Does mistrust of government play a role? Uh, There was a new poll that came out quite recently comparing uh, vaccine acceptance rates in the United States compared to countries in Europe. And in parts of Europe where there does tend to be greater trust in government, uh, the rates of acceptance were higher. Well, I'm not sure how much you want me to get into with this one. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. I think it's unfortunate that all of this happened during the most recent administration in this country, where there was open disregard and ill regard for Black lives. And when you couple that with the language warp speed, hurry up and put this thing together, then I think it builds on the mistrust of of leadership that for many African Americans is not was not perceived as being for us as was perceived as being for someone else, but not us. COVID death rates have been a lot higher among people of color, especially those who live in in uh, lower income communities. One would think that that creates a bigger incentive to get the vaccine, but in fact, whites are getting vaccinated at a higher rate according to the last figures I saw. You've said a couple of times, you think attitudes are changing. How do you see this rollout proceeding? I think it's not going to be an instant change. I don't think that anybody's going to be able to do anything and say, here's the magic piece of paper. Here's the magic piece of information. And everyone is going to all of a sudden get in line and say, okay, I'm ready. I think it requires, which sometimes is difficult to have, some patience in terms of, Let's talk about this now. What are your questions? What are your concerns? And then let's talk about this again. And that's even happened with my own family. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, um, whether you have close family members or, or friends who say, I don't want to get this shot. I do. I do. I have family members who have said that they don't want to get the shot. And for some after having a conversation and telling them what I know in terms of what I've researched and looked up on the vaccine and the fact that they know 
that I love and care for them and wouldn't intentionally do anything to harm them, I think that has made some traction in terms of my own family and also the fact that I was happy to stick my arm out to get the vaccine. What about your fellow workers, Renita? My colleagues in the College of Nursing, for the most part, I've not encountered anyone that wasn't excited when their name came up in terms of the opportunity to be able to get the vaccine. Oh, I take that back, maybe one. But after several conversations, I believe that that person has changed their mind and decided to go ahead and get the vaccine. One thing we hear a lot from people who've studied vaccine resistance is that it doesn't work to just say, oh, no, you're wrong. The science is all great. Sometimes people actually get more dug in in their position if you confront them head on. That doesn't sound like it's your approach. I mean, your approach is not to confront them head on, but to listen a little more. Exactly. To listen a little more and to listen a little more often so that it's not just once that you're listening. And I think part of the problem is that you can find arguments to the contrary of anything you're talking about if you search for it on the Internet. If you're on, you know, uh, social media, you'll have somebody saying, I'm Dr. Such and Such, and I know that this vaccine has killed a million people and they're not telling anybody about it. So if you search for it, you'll find it whether or not it's truth or fiction. Well, we're going to talk about solutions in just a moment. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Our guest is Dr. Renitha Julian. Let's talk about how we may improve vaccine acceptance rates in the weeks and months ahead. Do you and other healthcare professionals play the most important role in, in bending the curve? I think we play an important role, but maybe not the most important. And, and I'll say that sort of thinking about it in two different ways. One, I think that health professionals of color play a key role in helping patients of color believe or trust some of the information that's out there, which is why it's so important that we work so hard to increase the diversity in the healthcare professions. So that's one, one thing. But from the other side of it, our role may be more important in supporting people in the community 
church leaders, individuals out there who have the trust of the community. They don't have to earn it. They already have it. And we can support them by providing them with the information that they need, providing them with the resources that they need. If they need us to come out and give a description of how the vaccine was developed or how the vaccine works in the body, I think the partnerships with people who have already established their trust in the community probably is the strongest way to go about it. You've said that one key resource can be barbershops and beauty parlors. Yes. Yes. Those barbers and those beauticians would need to be armed with the right information in order for that to be an effective approach. And that's where I think healthcare professionals have a place in terms of here's the playbook, here's the menu, here's the information that your customers will want to hear in a way that they can really absorb it. I read that one reason that the vaccine rollout might be going slower in some minority communities is that if in places where English is not most people's first language, it takes longer to go through the process. You need uh, you, you need people who are uh, who are bilingual and uh, you, you need more explanation. So just giving one person the vaccine might take longer. Does the medical community need to do more to be accessible to people whose first language is not English? I don't know that language in itself is the barrier. In my mind, I think a bigger barrier is location and confidence that this is what it is, meaning that this is not a setup in some way to to trap someone, um, because there are enough individuals in the community, growing numbers of Spanish-speaking health professionals and community organizations that can really support what needs to be said in order for individuals to understand what's going on. So I don't think it's as much language, but if you are um, wanting to give vaccine in communities and there's no health center or the nearest Walgreens is how many miles away, I think distance and location and think about drive-through vaccine administration. What if you don't have a car? So I, I think logistics are as important, if not more important than language when you think about what could be slowing this up. On that line, a big challenge in New York is that they opened up the vaccinations to a lot more people, but they, they're running it through a whole bunch of different institutions. So there's 50 different websites you could go and log on to, long forms to fill out. And somebody who's older or somebody who doesn't have a computer at home, or they're trying to do this on their phone, it's a very complicated and frustrating process. I 100% agree with you. As someone who was trying to find um, a site for my aunt who's 70 to get the vaccine and clicked on this website and went here and filled out that and went on that website. And, and it's really, for someone who's even older than 70, who doesn't have a computer, has no clue what email address is, 
is afraid to answer their phone because somebody's always trying to scam senior citizens. It's just, it's really a setup for difficulty. And I've heard that various websites, local government websites, are very complicated to navigate. What's been your experience in Chicago? It is very complicated. Um, my aunt lives outside the city, so she lives in a suburb, Cook County website, which, you know, when you click on it and it says, no vaccines, appointments are available. Go to our partner sites. You have to find a partner site out of the 50 Walgreens that are on the list and the 50 CVSs and the 50 whatever stores, and then pick one. Walgreens wants you to register on Walgreens as a customer, if you will. So you need to go through a registration process before you can even see if they have appointments for the vaccine. When you do get there, you're likely to see no vaccine is available yet. Check back later. So it's very complicated and it's very frustrating. How do you fix that is you can't depend on technology and electronic communication for individuals who are likely to be challenged in that direction. Do you have examples of how states or local communities are making a difference and trying to reach out to communities where the vaccine acceptance rate or or the actual distribution of vaccines is low? Well, I'm 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 proud to say that uh, at my own institution they had a Minister's Vaccine Day, where it was a Saturday, and they invited church leaders from multiple denominations. So they weren't just saying African-American church or Latinx church, literally every denomination they could think of to have come in and receive the vaccine and also make that information publicly available so that people could see that these church leaders had confidence in the process. You're a professor of nursing at a college of nursing, working with a lot of, of, I would presume, young students. What are you hearing from them? They're getting into the medical field at a very scary, possibly exciting time. What are you hearing from them about their expectations for their career ahead? I am so incredibly proud of our students because they are manning the vaccine administration sites. Um, at Rush. So literally, if you go in, it's a good chance that a student nurse or a medical student is going to be the one to give you the vaccine. And the same thing held true when there was a, a huge demand for testing. There were student groups that went out into homeless shelters and went out to locations where individuals were living outside to do testing. So our students are all in, and I think in a lot of ways reinforces why they are interested in the health professions. So they really care and they really want to do something. I know that you really care. What do you say, Renitha, to people you know who don't want a vaccine against COVID? Do you have any personal strategies apart from, from listening and trying several times that that might help other people convince their relatives to get the vaccine? Well, I, I think, again, the importance of talking about how the vaccine was developed, 
talking about how the vaccine works in the body that, you know, with some vaccines like the flu, they give you a teeny, tiny, tiny, tiny dose of the flu to help your body figure out how to fight it off. And that's not what they do with COVID. They're not injecting you with any vaccine at all. They're just teaching your body how to build up a fight against it if it runs into it. So talking about what happens with the vaccine, how the vaccine was developed. And I believe that my family knows that I love and respect them and that I'm not going to tell them something that is harmful to them. Have you had cases of COVID in your family or your immediate circle? Yes. My 93-year-old aunt died last year from COVID. I've had someone in my immediate household with COVID. So yes, it. I don't know anybody who hasn't been touched in some way by this virus. Dr. Renitha Julian, thank you for joining us on How Do We Fix It? Thank you. I hope I was helpful. You sure were. This has been great. Much appreciated. Now to our recommendation. Richard, you're reading a classic. Last week, Jim, you told us that you and your wife were reading and discussing the Federalist Papers written a mere 240 years ago. My wife and I are tackling the 700-year-old Divine Comedy by Dante. Imagine a journey through hell, purgatory, and then heaven. That's what this is, and it's written by a brilliant poet. And, you know, I don't think I ever would have considered reading this if it wasn't for the coronavirus pandemic. But during this time of lockdown and and boredom at times, we felt like we needed to do something to to expand our horizons. That's great. So heaven and hell doesn't get more expanded than that. I have actually a short additional recommendation. It's on the topic of this show, Vaccine Hesitancy. There's a great new book out called Stuck by Heidi Larson, who is an expert in vaccines and sociology. And the book really explores how some of the anti-vaccine myths have gotten established and spread on social media and some techniques to counteract it. And now to our conversation. Jim, I've never really liked that phrase, Operation Warp Speed, and neither does Renitha. The way a campaign is framed, the way it's it's worded, makes a difference. And that includes the need to inspire trust among all kinds of people uh, about not only the will of the government to get a vaccine out there, but also how it's distributed. This, this involves a, a need for goodwill. I would also say that when you have a crisis like this, you need everybody in positions of leadership kind of pulling in the same direction. There was so much confusion and people kind of contradicting each other in the Trump administration, you know, number one, Trump himself, that I think a a certain amount of public trust got eroded. But also during the campaign, Kamala Harris was outspoken in her criticism of the vaccine. She said she wouldn't necessarily take it. She didn't trust it. She didn't trust that the Trump administration to 
to handle it fairly. When somebody that influential spreads doubt, just because you later get elected doesn't mean that doubt suddenly goes away. So I think people on all sides should be careful about politicizing public health for their short-term benefit when it could have long-term devastating effects on members of our broad American community. A few more ideas on how to reduce uh, vaccine reluctance. Jim, the government at every level should work with as many partners as possible. I'm not just talking about the federal government, which needs to show stronger leadership, but also towns and cities. Reach out. One thing that Renita was saying was that should include pastors of all denominations, people who have trust in their local communities, libraries and business groups as well, small business associations, for instance. And then an another thought, make the application process simple. Uh, let everybody over 65 apply. They are the high risk group. So, you know, make it easy for them to sign up, maybe even print out redeemable vaccine tickets. Don't don't turn people away unless that's absolutely necessary. And then one more thing, target all kinds of communities with advertising, public education campaigns, use celebrities and others to, to broaden the appeal of this, get, get as many people as possible on board. You know, I think what you're saying about making sure that the message gets distributed out at various levels is so important. There's been a real tendency during this pandemic to assume that every problem is caused at the federal level and has to be solved at the federal level. There have been a lot of drop balls at the federal level, but there's no way to expect the federal government to be able to you know, know where to set up a vaccine center in every community and get that organized overnight. We needed local partners, business partners, uh, local communities. And in some ways, some of the areas that have done the best job of getting the vaccine out have been willing to trust uh, their communities rather than trying to have a centralized approach. For example, in Alaska, uh, the native communities, they, they basically went to the native communities and said, you know your, your people best and directly put them in charge of distributing the vaccine. Well, Alaska is one of the best states in the country for getting people vaccinated. In some cases, they literally delivered vaccines to some of these native communities by dog sled. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. Thanks for joining us. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. This show is a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Find out more at DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.